Do you like all things spooky? How about chilling stories that have you reaching for the covers? In this podcast, we're going under the covers to delve into all things from chilling haunts to your worst nightmares. I'm Morgan. And I'm Emily. And this is why we don't Don't sleep alone. Edward. Welcome back. Yay. 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 I really wish we had auto-tune. <laughs> I wish that I was in an acapella group sometimes, and then I listen to myself actually sing, and I am very glad that I'm not in an acapella group. Boons, boons, boons. Come on, come on, give us a song. What That's song also, do do? it's a little bit too much commitment for me, honestly. Oh. Um, yeah, the rehearsals are pretty... Strenuous. Heard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this already is a lot... I don't think it could add on. Let's let's do it. I don't think I don't think it could add on anything else. We're starting an acapella group, guys. And it's called Mac Fleetwood. Yeah. I'll be the beatboxer because I'm really good at it. What am I supposed to do? I can't sing. You're the one who can sing. You know. Emily, you're a wonderful singer. Oh yeah. <laughs> she can't even she's laughing. She can't even keep a straight face. Not laughing. She knows I'm not a good singer. She sings like Cinderella herself. I do not. You know what else I'm not good at? Doing social media. I <laughs> hate. Social media is hard, social especially if you're hard. not into it. I feel like if you're yeah. into it, you're really good at it. But if you're not into it, you suck. You and suck. I, I suck. Mine is like the social anxiety aspect. Mm. I feel like. I want a flip phone. I really do. I really want to get a flip phone. You remember those phones? I think Razors? Like, no. Talking about the jitterbug? No. You know, you don't know what I'm talking about? For the old people, they used to have infomercials on it for old people. Nope. And it's like you get three buttons on this phone, and those are your three lifelines. No. And that's it. That's all you can call. I really want to get a flip phone. I hate social media. I, I like I really do, but I know I need to do it, and I hate how much time I spend on my phone. So one day maybe I'll get a flip phone, but for now, I'm gonna try my best to continue to do social media, which you can find us at Do Not Sleep Alone on everything, Twitter, Instagram, TikTokie. We're trying. If you guys have any input, uh, on what you would like to find on those we would love to hear from you send us a dm on instagram or email us at do not sleep alone official at gmail.com we would just love to hear feedback in general just what more do you want to hear from us what do you want to see on our socials maybe you have a tip for us on how to handle socials because we don't know how to handle it mm-hmm. everything is greatly appreciated One thing that we are kind of switching up on the podcast that uh, we talked to some people, got some feedback, and this is a direct change from that, is that we are going to start doing different stories on our weekly episodes. Yeah. So we used to only do a different story at the first of the month, but Mm -hmm. now we're switching it up. We're doing different stories for every episode, so whether you have just... 20 minutes or 30 minutes to listen to an episode or you have an hours 
length. You can listen to just one story or both stories each episode to make it a little bit more accessible for anyone. Should we keep them the same theme? That would be fun. That might like be Both fun. of us research a murder and both of us research... Because mine is also today on a disappearance. Ooh. Kind of. Kind it's of. basically it's basically disappearance but like i feel like if we just keep within the same realm mm-hmm. i feel like that would be fun well it's like listen to two stories back to back about murders <laughs> that's my cup of tea honestly <laughs> that's like all i ever do but uh what is my life <laughs> honestly pain wedding planner by day <laughs> murder podcaster by night Oh. It's all about the yin and yang, people. All about the yin and yang. The balance. <sighs> Namaste. Well, why don't you uh, get us... You want me to get us started yeah. today? Look, Let's freaking do it. You so do it. we're going to be hopping in our little imaginary plane, and we're headed to Staten Island, New York. We're also headed into our time machine, because it is 1980. Nice. <laughs> so during the 80s, we were under like the satanic panic that was kind of like the conspiracy flying around at that time and with that spreading like wildfire like any sort of like story or anything like that they immediately just blamed satanic cults and all that fun stuff so lots of tension (laughs) i feel like there's always lots of tension but lots of tension in this satanic cult realm And with the sudden disappearances of children happening, because there was a height of disappearances in children in the 1980s, and sex rings and all that kind of stuff, and and the child trafficking, it was also a really big thing in the 80s, which we're starting to see again, which is absolutely terrifying. Parents were put on high alert. So anything and everything, they were trying to keep their children safe. And these folklore tales of the boogeyman with a hook for a hand all stemmed from the Willowbrook School in Staten Island, which school is kind of a loose term (laughs) when we're talking about this story. It's basically a home for kids who were either mentally ill or had Down syndrome they they dealt with a, a load of issues but it was basically like a holding facility for them like nothing else worked let's just put them in this state-funded school to keep them somewhere it was like one step up from an insane asylum that's that's how low the bar was set and to keep children off the street these parents and You know, young adults would tell these stories of the boogeyman and how he would come out at night and, you know, snatch up kids who were doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And Cropsy was actually the tale of the 1980s that originated in Staten Island of a boogeyman who would take children in the night, just like all other boogeymen. (laughs) And later was unmasked as Andre Rand, a custodian who thought to be harmless man who just seemed a bit off surprise surprise now he's the boogeyman and just like other lore this is pretty much how all urban legends went the whole at night the thing in the night comes to get you is a very common trope but the thing is is children were actually going missing and that's what's super terrifying like 
this was a thing that started off as kind of like a ha 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 and then ended up being like a real thing. So that's kind of scary for the parents because now they can't even trust like their kids to walk to and from school or be out past, you know, the street lights and all that kind of stuff. Andre Rand was one of the most well-known criminals in Staten Island solely due to the nature of his crimes and his victims, a.k.a. 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 Oh. Brown Lightning. No, I'm kidding. What? That's from, that's from <laughs> New Girl. Oh. I was like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> What's going on? If you get it, if you know, you know. Okay. Children. Yeah. A.K.A. Children. That's that's all I was getting to. Oh, okay. Like, what about children? They're off limits. Yes, they are. Murder people all you want. But murder a child? No. I mean, like, don't murder people. <laughs> Please don't murder people. You heard but it here first. No, don't. <laughs> don't quote me on that. <laughs> the FBI is like, flagged. <laughs> she said it. <laughs> Get her, boys. Don't mess with children, though. Don't mess with children. They have it, their whole life ahead of them. You don't need to either, one, ruin their lives, or two... I don't know. End, End their, their lives. lives. Like, did are we? Bye bye bye. Because we're in sync. Oh, that was a good one. Thank you. That was a good one. I've been waiting my whole entire life to use that one. Oh, you did it live on air, <gasps> on the record, uh, on the record. <laughs> and that's on the record. My mom is still traumatized by that sentence, but it's fine. Andre Rand was born on March 11th, 1944 in Manhattan and had a pretty uneventful childhood and upbringing. His father passed away when he was only 14 years old, and when later interviewed, his sister reported that neither of them was sexually or physically abused. So, again, uneventful childhood. Kind of just lived the normal kid life. Nothing out of the ordinary. He is currently serving 25 years to life. And that was ruled in 1988. So pretty recently, not recently, I guess, because some of these kids out here talking about the 90s like it was forever ago. So let me not be throwing out. Let me not be. You got this. So he's still serving his life sentence. Good. 25. In prison. I, I feel like I've said this a million times. I don't understand sentencing. How do you go from 25 years to life? I don't. It doesn't compute. Because the minimum is 25 years before you can get out, which most people after 25 years are dead because they're old. Okay, but I just don't... I can't compute. Yeah, me neither. I like, don't get it either. I don't know how they arrive at these numbers or in which the process there is to be without that. Yep. Much. That was your sentence. That was that a good one. That was my sentence. Andrean was part of the custodial staff at Willowbrook State School from 1965 to 1966, which is a pretty short time, but with funding and all that kind of stuff kind of going downhill. And later on, we end up finding out in the 70s it ends up getting shut down. I'm sure he's just one of the first to go because he was one of the most recently hired because usually that's how it works. And... Unfortunately, custodial staff is usually the first to go when it comes time for pay cuts, which makes no sense to me because they literally keep the entire school system running. But like, we won't talk about that. 
It's fine. It's fine. The school was funded by the state of New York, and the amount of, air quote, I say, students would grow to an unmanageable amount of numbers, and this is when things would take a turn for the worse, because now we have more students, aka patients, than we do staff to take care of them or keep an eye on them to make sure that nothing crazy was going on. And Robert F. Kennedy, may he rest in peace, had called Willowbrook a snake pit. Those are his words, snake pit, back in 1965. Yet it took quite a few years to shut Willowbrook's doors, which I understand that it's not like a case closed kind of thing, like you shutting down a restaurant or something, because they obviously had to find other facilities to support these children with disabilities. But the fact that it took that long, even after our president was like, yo, what they hail, you know? How? 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 And in the early 1970s, the school for children with disabilities would be shut down after inspection showed. Are we ready? What? Are we ready? No. That the state funded facility was not running up to code and performed questionable and unorthodox medical practices. Dun, dun, dun. No way would there be a state funded mental health facility that's underfunded and not up to code. I know. It's a shocker. There's no way that would ever happen. Truly. I don't know how it happened. How it slipped through the cracks. How, How did the state funded facility not get the funding that it needed because mental illness is an inside wound emily yep it is and people just be crazy i can sometimes (laughs) be on the outside too uh, (laughs) i wouldn't know anything about that (laughs) again we will talk about that later (laughs) whenever you're ready 10 a.m is just a couple hours away so you keep working through that and you let me know at 10 a.m okay Will do. And once the closure of the school was enacted, Rand was forced to find another job, but he was busy doing other nefarious activities. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Who would have thought? Rand's first conviction for sexually molesting a nine-year-old happened after he left employment at Willowbrook. However, one look at the drooling bug-eyed Andre Rand outside the courthouse at his trials let you know that something just wasn't right with him. I don't know if they had to tranquilize him during court or if they drugged him up or all of the above, but he just like looks off. He doesn't look there. Like he doesn't look, he looks somewhere else, but not there. And Andre's mother had actually struggled with mental illness and lived in the Pilgrim State Asylum. And with that in mind, him taking his job at Willowbrook would kind of make sense because people who have loved ones or, you know, know someone close in relation to them who struggle with mental illness, go to asylums, whatever it may be, tend to seek refuge in helping those because they feel like they're helping or helping heal that part of them that they couldn't do before. Learning more about it Mm -hmm. so they can better understand and have more patience towards that person. Yeah. Or if they feel like they failed the past person, then maybe they can 
like reliving the trauma over and over again are we really gonna get into this i feel like i shouldn't it's too late for that it's too late i would i wouldn't know anything about that i i went into the psychology field and became a counselor purely for funsies for funsies and because i was interested in it not for any i mean it is really interesting but it is it's even more interesting that if you want to keep telling your story, you can. Several young girls in the school then went missing. One of which being Alice Perriera. English is not my strong suit. Rand had already been in prison and served 10 years for abducting several children, but this didn't stop, stop him, seeing as he was never really convicted for actual abduction because these children were never harmed. So he just took these kids to, like, random places. Like, he loaded up a school bus full of kids and just drove them around. Didn't harm them. Didn't sexually abuse them. Didn't physically abuse them. Just took them. That's kind of... So weird. Weird. And he served for the conviction of unlawful imprisonment instead. So not child abduction, but unlawful imprisonment. On July 10th, 1972... Alice vanished from her neighborhood while outside playing. So out in her familiar neck of the woods, whatnot, ended up going missing. She went missing only a few miles southeast of Willowbrook while Rand is no longer in prison. So where do police start looking first? They start looking at Rand because they're like, who else in this area also steals little children like they're like it's connecting. probably Rand, yeah. Connecting the dots of, wow, this guy just got arrested for this and then he was released and now there's someone missing and there's a huge spider in the corner. Where? You don't see it? No. It's like, I think, it's like in the corner, like by the picture frame. No, that's not a spider. That's a spider. No, it's not. What else would it be? I think that's a spider, Abby. I'm positive it's a spider. Just leave it. It's doing its own job. What else would it be? It's a little black speck on the wall. I don't know. I don't think it's a spider, though. I think it's a spider. Okay, hold on. Let me get back in position. That's what she said. Huh? Where was I? Ah, yes. The Pit of Despair. If you can name that movie, you can be my friend. Unfortunately... There was not enough evidence that would convict Rand and have him put under arrest, but Alice was never seen again. Which is so sad. Five-year-old, just gone. Vanished. Snatched. Another girl, seven years old, Holly Ann Hughes, went missing, with witnesses saying that she was last seen with Rand on July 15th, 1981, but with no substantial evidence, Rand was never arrested or convicted, and she was also never seen again. Hmm. Three more children go missing. Tyhees Jackson, Hank Graforio, and Jennifer Schwager. Schwager, however you want to say it. I think I'm going to say Schwager from now on. In 1983, 11-year-old Tyhees Jackson was reported missing after her mother had sent her to purchase food at the store, and she never returned. She was last seen exiting the Mariner's Harbor Hotel, or Motel, sorry, in Staten Island on August 14th, 12 days after Rand was, replete, was released from prison. In 1984, 
Staten Island resident Hank Gaforio was reported missing after he did not return home one night. And Gaforio was described as quote-unquote slow, with his IQ only being in the 70s. And at the time of his disappearance, he was 22. But according to the Cropsey documentary, Gaforio was 21 when he was allegedly kidnapped by Rand. Which if you haven't checked out the Cropsey documentary and you want to know more about this definitely would consider maybe not watching it <laughs> and usually i'm like one for like yeah go watch it it was really good but it's very disturbing like extremely disturbing to the point where even the viewers at this film festival that this debuted at were like i vowed to never watch that again it's a little too much bro yeah and eyewitnesses report it um report last seeing Graforio in a local diner with Rand in the early morning hours. So again, he was seen last seen with Rand. On July 9th of 1987, 12-year-old Jennifer Schwager goes missing, and finally our boogeyman can be caught and arrested. Yay! The boogeyman's. He was caught lying to reporters saying that he had never seen her or met her, even though witnesses report her last sighting to be seen with him. And this is whenever the search for Jennifer begins. So they finally catch him in a lie and they're like, okay, he must know something. Let's dig into it a little bit more. After 35 days, 35 days of searching for the body of the 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome, a body is found in a shallow grave on Willowbrook School property. And the body was found by a retired New York City firefighter who was combing the nearby area and ended up later stumbling upon Jennifer's remains. And even though Jennifer's remains were the only ones that were found, Rand is still a prime suspect in the other four disappearances. So he's not totally off the hook. And in 1988, Andre Rand was charged with the kidnapping and first degree murder of Jennifer Schwager. The Staten Island jury could not reach a verdict on the murder charge, but they convicted him of first-degree kidnapping. So, either way, he was slapped with a pretty big sentence. And this is whenever he sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, and he would be eligible, and he wouldn't be eligible for parole um, until 2008 if not convicted of a second kidnapping. And with satanic panic being at large, like we talked about in the beginning, people thought that Rand was just an easy cop-out. Like, people were still believing this whole, like... Boogeyman's. Yeah, like, satanic thing was happening because there were rumors that there were some satanic cults and groups in the area in Staten Island because this was kind of like the, the dump all to all the people. In New York, they were like, yeah, don't go to Staten Island. That's where all the crazy people are. So people thought like, oh, he's just crazy. And you're just trying to like pin him for this crime and murder. And you didn't really do anything and yada, yada, yada. But because there wasn't a lot of evidence against him for the murder, a lot of people were kind of conflicted and whether or not, you know, what to really believe. And there was tunnel systems underneath the school in which a lot of these satanic cults resided in and a lot of the homeless population of Staten Island lived in these tunnels. So there's also rumors that it could have been 
you know, any of the strew of people that were down there. But the fact that Rand was seen with all of these kids in their last hours kind of makes him really guilty. That's that's pretty much it for my story. It's pretty much it. And in 2009, the Cropsey kind of like the film that I was telling you about ended up getting a whole bunch of buzz because it was around the anniversary and like the parole release for him and all that kind of stuff. And it ended up winning a whole bunch of awards, but again, super disturbing. So it's out there. It's on the interwebs. You can find it. But beware. The printer is haunted. (laughs) Yeah, the printer just turned on. (laughs) Morgan (laughs) why did it just turn on well email and then I was printing something earlier today so it's probably just like going into eco save mode well thanks for the story you're welcome I I, uh, don't appreciate it so (laughs) I also have a quite a story for you mine's a little bit different but kind of in the same realm Uh, i am also talking about a disappearance but i am talking about the jameson family disappearances Mm. just a little bit of background on the family before i like super dive into it in 2003 uh bobby jameson had been in a car accident that left him with a severe back pain and a bunch of problems, but never got a payout from the insurance company for any of it, and then had to go on disability pay, lost his job and everything because the back pain was so bad he couldn't work. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Kind of possibly some money issues with trying Mm -hmm. to deal with health problems due to a car accident and a lot of pain. Maybe given pain meds to deal with it, having to lose your job, and just a whole bunch of stuff. And then his wife, Sherilyn, uh, her sister died in 2007, which caused her to go into a downward spiral where she ended up actually attempting suicide and was hospitalized due to it. And then two years after that, she lost custody of her 12-year-old son, which then she no longer was receiving any child support. Mm -hmm. So more funding was lost. And she also ended up having to go on disability pay for some issues as well. But she did have a six-year-old daughter, Madison. And this was also uh, Bobby's uh, daughter as well. So we have a family of three. We have uh, Bobby Jameson, Sherilyn Jameson, and their six-year-old daughter, Madison, which it's spelled with a Y. So it's a little... Madison? Yeah. So Madison. Cute, I guess. <laughs> and in uh, 2009, on October 8th, so the same year that uh, she loses her 12-year-old son in the custody battle, the entire family vanishes from Eufaula, Oklahoma. Weird. Just out of the blue on October 8th of 2009. So this whole family, things seemed kind of normal. No one knew why they had left and they didn't understand where they would have gone. And and investigators just thought it was weird that this random family just Mm -hmm. went missing. 
disappeared. Yeah, they, like, literally just, like, disappeared off the face of the earth. And the thing is, like, this case gets weirder and weirder the more that you dig into it. And that the investigators started talking to people, and they're, like, trying to figure out where they were. And the first tip that they got was that the family was last seen looking at a property near Red Oak, where they were thinking of purchasing that property, mm-hmm. which was a 40-acre plot of land. That's, like, a lot. Yeah, that's, like, at least seven. grass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, a lot of land. Did you say that's at least seven? That's at least seven. <laughs> It's a lot of land and probably not incredibly cheap either. Yeah, I was about to say. Which is interesting considering both Bobby and Sherilyn are on disability pay, which we all know is not not a lot. A lot. (laughs) And they also had just lost all their child support as well. And uh, they apparently were planning on living on this plot of land out of a storage container that they owned on the current property that they were living at, which was weird because that storage container, which comes back later, was not like a tiny home, wasn't, you know, like whenever I say like a storage container living out of, you're like, oh yeah, storage container homes. Cute. I'm thinking of like Dexter. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, I've never (laughs) seen Dexter actually, so I can't even. Not good. That's where he. Yeah. Yeah. I. Does the thing. Yeah. It was literally an empty storage container. Interesting. Like it wasn't renovated. There was no kind of. It was going to live in a metal box. Yeah. It was just a metal box. And a man said that he had last seen them going into the woods alone. And that no one else was even around there or anything, but that was the last they were ever seen, was the family walking into the woods of this property alone. It wasn't... Raw. Yeah, I know. Raw. <laughs> I'm calling the fucking cops. Spooky, right? That is weird. And uh, it wasn't until October 16th, so eight days later, uh, or one week, you know, whatever, When investigators found the family truck, which contained their malnourished dog inside. Sad. (laughs) I know, but it's October and it's Oklahoma, so maybe it's chilly. So, like, the dog wasn't baking, hopefully. But it was still alive, just malnourished because it hasn't ate. Uh, The family's jackets, Bobby's wallet, Sherilyn's purse, uh, their phones the vehicle's GPS, and $32,000 in cash. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Because, again, they weren't working. They were on disability pay. They just lost child support. $32,000 seems like a lot of money to just have in cash on your person. especially just leave in your car. Especially considering the circumstances of where they may have been financially. Mm-hmm. $32,000 is not just like some chump change. Yeah. That's, the, that's at least a down payment on something possibly. Like a plot of land. Ooh. Or who knows. But there was no sign of any struggle. And there was no windows. Bro- like everything was fine. There was no struggle. There was no mud anywhere. Like... Things just seemed like they pulled off and that was it. One theory that investigators had is that they left unwillingly by someone they knew 
and that's why it looked like something happened. So as if they were meeting someone that they knew there, and then they all got out of the truck together to run into their friend, and then the friend suddenly turned on them and held them at a gunpoint, and that's why it looks like nothing had happened, and that's why the dog also was left in the car, because if someone's going to make you go into the woods or something to kill mm-hmm. you, they're not going to tell you to take your dog because chances are your dog is going to protect the family. So leave the dog in the car so it can't attack or cause any of a ruckus or start barking and causing attention, you know? But it's still so weird that they wouldn't have, like, at least brought their phones, like, in... I don't know. Maybe it's just our day and age where we're all, like, addicted to our phones. <laughs> and, like, I feel like... I always have my phone on me, but, like, the fact that all their phones were left, the purse, like, all the things. So, it's, like, if they were meeting someone, I feel like they would have brought all that stuff because they wouldn't have, like, suspected anything. But, like, at the same time, I guess not. But also, if they were meeting someone, that someone is probably the one who the $32,000 were for. Mm-hmm. So, why would that still be in the vehicle? Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Maybe they were like, come look at the property real quick. And then. That was it. Yeah. And then the GPS showed that the family had stopped at a previous location before where they found the truck. And it was like this little hill that was a little bit further down the road. And police actually found footprints there. So it's just weird that they stopped somewhere else on the way Mm -hmm. to, and it's like where their truck was found, it was just pulled off on the side of the road. It's not like they were at some truck stop or like anything. It's literally just a random stretch of road that was pulled off to the side of. And then the next thing that they decided to do was check the family house, see if they can find any evidence there. See if they can find any, like, CCTV footage, anything like that. And it just so happens that they did have uh, security cameras. And they were able to check the security cameras. And I think that this, to me, is one of the weirder things about it. But a lot of people actually blow this out of proportion to me, in a way. What they find is that the parents are seen packing the truck... And people like to say that they were seen in, like, a trance-like state as if they were under a spell or something, packing the truck. But they just look like they're packing a truck. Mm -hmm. When you pack the car, you're not enthusiastic. You're just... Packing a truck. You're walking back and forth like normal. Mm -hmm. What's weird is that they do it in about 20 trips, sometimes not even holding anything, and sometimes holding just one thing. That's what's weird to me. Hmm. Maybe they're like getting a list. Like someone's telling them the list as they go. Ooh, like they're, mm-hmm. well, they're, you don't see them being on a phone or anything. Oh. Yeah. They're not like, I mean, unless someone's somewhere else, but there's footage for all over the house. Weird. Like you would see okay. if there was someone there. So that's what's weird to me, but a lot of people blow it out of proportion. They say, oh, they were on drugs, oh, they're under a spell, things like that. It looks like they're just packing a truck. It's just weird that they do it 
in about 20 trips, sometimes not even having anything or having one thing. I know whenever I make trips to my car, I have it is all the things. It's all the things. <laughs> my arms are like falling off. I have like 30 bags that Can are. Can I like open 50 my car pounds. door? No, but let's not make another trip. But you best believe I'm hitting that trunk button before I even lock my door. So it's just already open. So I can just chuck everything in there. Smart. That's what I literally did today. And another thing that they do notice is that on the footage, the family is seen putting a brown briefcase in the truck. That's not found. It's gone. Never. They've never seen it again. Uh, they also, have found that in Sherilyn, Sherilyn owned a 22 caliber handgun that was missing, as well as a witch's Bible. And in the storage, like the storage unit that I was talking about, on the inside of it, there were inscriptions that correlated with a witch's Bible that were scratched into the side of the storage unit on the inside. Amelia Bedelia. So now I'm really uncomfortable. Now you're really sketched out, right? The briefcase freaked me out, but now this is really freaking me out. And then there was another thing that was also etched into the side that said, three cats killed to date by people in this area. Witches don't like their black cat killed. With the words by and there being the wrong spelling. So instead of it being like... By people, it was B-U-Y people, and instead of it being T-H-E-I-R, black cat, it was T-H-E-R-E. So weird spelling that... I'm starting to cry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I should have made you tell this story first. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You said disappearance, and I thought I was safe. (laughs) I'm literally crying. So that was never found as well, and kind of weird, too, because they said that they were going to live out of this crate in the middle of this, like, 40-acre land plot. So kind of weird. And then the next day, so this all happened on the first day that they found the truck. Uh The next day, on October 17th, Over 300 people gathered around and formed a ground search party looking for the family, but nothing came from this, and the case literally went completely cold. No leads, nothing. All they had was just a bunch of weird things going on with nothing to find, and the search party didn't come up with anything at all. Not the gun, not the briefcase, not the Bible, none of that. Then almost four years later, November 2013, Morgan is crying. <laughs> she's like legitimately crying. She's very I uncomfy. I am so overwhelmed and scared. <laughs> in November 2013, hunters were in a remote area when they found the human remains of two adults and one child. The location that this was was about three miles away from where the truck was originally found. And so immediately investigators believed that these were probably the remains of the Jameson family. And it was. In this area, they were able to uncover shoes, bits of clothing, teeth, 
and arm bone, leg bones, and then other like small bone fragments. And uh, the medical examiner was not able to confirm what the cause of death was because of course the remains were so partial and like because why would we need yeah any sort of closure yeah. on the story right there was there's no way for them to determine because yeah. there was only partial remains and the remains that were there were so like deteriorated mm-hmm. it was almost impossible to do anything because they weren't able to figure out what the cause of death was they also can't rule out any type of violence or trauma or anything just because there was nothing to be found Mm -hmm. but what the medical examiner did say is that it was a suspicious circumstance that doesn't make me feel better emily i don't know why you phrased that like it was gonna make me feel better (laughs) because it definitely didn't i am see this is what like really fucks me up about disappearances is that you don't get closure like at least at the end of like a murder case when we talk about that we're like yeah now he's convicted and all these people are dead so very sad that all these people are dead but we at least know what happened how they died we know the story but like what happened to this family in the woods emily and And why was there a six-year-old daughter yeah in the store like can you imagine being the cop that's walking in there with a flashlight and ends up finding that shit bruh run bruh i'd be like yeah i'm putting in my two hour notice right now see you later the other thing too is that the where they found the remains was three miles away from the truck when they did the search the day after they found the truck it was within a five mile radius so they would have found them if they were there. So they weren't there. They were placed there later. That's literally what I'm like. Yeah. So they were either still in hiding and kept it. You don't know. But they were placed there. Emily, that makes me want to throw up. Yeah, I know. Me too. I'm My back isn't covered by my blanket. It's just my legs. And now I feel like spooky. I don't think I'm going home tonight. I think I'm going to sleep with Olivia. I would if I were you. (laughs) She left all her laundry on her bed, though. That's okay. But anyways, there are a lot of different theories as to what happened with the family. Uh, One of them was that they were part of a cult due to uh, a tip from Sherilyn's mother who claimed that their family was on a Oklahoma cult list, like hit list. Okay. That's Whatever it. that means. There's literally no backing to it. It's just Sherilyn's mother claims that yeah. she believes they were a part of a cult and on a hit list. Another theory is that the family was dealing with spiritual warfare. Uh, the family pastor believed that their home was possessed. And Bobby had claimed that he owned a satanic Bible and asked the pastor help for an exorcism on the house. Which would explain the witch's Bible. Trans-like state. Trans-like state. The inscriptions. And, uh... Fucking hell, Emily. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I promise I'm almost done. And then I will serenade you. The pastor also believed that there was, like, some weird stuff going on. Mm -hmm. 
because uh, Sherilyn had gone up to him and said that she had seen spirits and she believed that she had the power to cast them out. And that's what she told the pastor. And that's what he told the investigators. So some people think they were on drugs. Uh, some people think there was like other stuff going on. Then there's a cult possibly. There's just a whole lot of different things. But that is all the information about the Jameson family disappearances. And it just spooks me out a lot. And the fact that there was nothing, literally nothing on it at all. Because the last eyewitness account of them was walking into the woods alone. But it just doesn't explain why you would leave your dog in the car, $32,000 cash in the car. If someone was actually holding them at gunpoint or taking them, they would have taken the cash, I would think. Unless they didn't know it was in there and it was like a freak thing. I don't know. I'm speechless. <laughs> I don't. I don't claim any of that negative energy. That's what that's what I'm going to finish out by saying. <laughs> I feel like Okay, so you mentioned the whole like Sherilyn 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 telling the pastor that she had the strength to cast out these demons. So maybe they were going to like perform sort some sort of like ceremony séance kind of thing. Why would you bring your dog out into the woods um, because they thought that they were going to be right back and then they could go and, you know, put the down payment on the house and start this new life. I don't know. It's weird, though. So. That makes me uncomfy. That is the mysterious disappearance. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't know Emily was going to go that hard. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. So, if you ever go to someone's place and they have a odd-looking Bible or you get a spooky vibe or... It's past dark. Or they take 20 trips to pack their car for no reason. Eh, maybe don't. Maybe don't. If you could not, don't. The boogeyman's real. Whether you want to believe in the boogeyman or not. I personally was told that the boogeyman lived in the vacuum growing up. Oh? That's what my dad told me. He said, the boogeyman lives in this vacuum. So I was terrified of the vacuum. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still scared of vacuums? It's okay. You can admit it. We're, it. This is a safe space, Emily. It's weird. I have... I get excited about vacuums like whenever i finally bought like my big girl vacuum i got really excited about it but i still am afraid that the boogeyman's lives in the vacuum but it's like the old vacuums the ones that have the bag yeah i was literally gonna say the paper bag ones those are scary like yeah. from the brave little toaster yeah that's exactly Ugh. what i was thinking about oh stressed <laughs> the boogeyman's <laughs> is real and it lives in the vacuum cleaners <laughs> and it's from staten island and he's from Staten Island. <laughs> so stay away from paper bag. Vacuum cleaners. And seances in the woods. <laughs> and don't, don't sleep, sleep alone. alone.
I'm going to kill myself. <laughs>